Well, we're, uh, we're doing this uh, enduring series, uh, finding assurance uh, that we might run the race to the end, uh, just as we just heard Paul has done, that he's gained the crown of righteousness that's before him, that he ran the race and kept the faith. I'm trying to work out how will that be us as well. And uh, this series has had a number of questions that we've been asking. And uh, the first question that we asked right back at the start of the series was, are you 100% certain that if you were to die tonight, you'd be with God in heaven? And then we asked, if you were to stand before God and he was to say to you, why should I let you in, what would you say? And we thought about those questions and we thought that we could be certain and we could be certain because of what Jesus has done. We then asked the question, so I prayed a prayer, is that all that I need to do? Is that it? Prayed the prayer, we're all sorted out. And we found actually, no, there was more to be done. Uh, Last week, Matthew encouraged us. Uh, in answering the question, is finishing the race up, all up to me? So basically we heard, well, actually, yeah, you need to put in. God's done a lot, but uh, we can trust and rely in him. So finishing the race isn't all up to us. And in fact, we're going to see some more help uh, today. Uh, the one that uh, we're asking today, the question we're asking today is, do Christians have to go to church? Which sounds like a good question for people who are at church, I said to someone at the start before we even began that this is the ironic sermon because uh, you're here to hear it and maybe the people who should be here to hear it aren't here. But uh, you'll pass it on and we have a podcast, so that's very helpful. Uh, last week, Matthew talked about the race that we're running being not just a run around the block, but an incredible race. He changed the city to surf to the city to Perth, which I thought was very clever and witty of him. And uh, it made us think... Actually, we're running long. We're hoping that we will endure this race that God has set before us. And it looks like it's going to be hard. Now, Matt said, you know, who do you reckon would have confidence to get there? And we sort of debated it backwards and forwards. I'm going to add in a little bit for you. What happens if you had a broken leg? What happens if you have a broken leg? See, I think we often think about enduring from the perspective of having all of our resources at our disposal. At my very best I will endure. But what happens if you're not at your best? That happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you. If we've got a broken leg, I think you need some of these, don't you? You've got to have something to help you keep going. It will be no good trying to run from here to Perth on a broken leg. It's just not going to happen. Uh, You'll need some crutches. Today we're going to have a look at two of the crutches that God gives us for this endurance race that we're running. The church... And the word. They're the two things that we're looking at today that will help us um, as we seek to endure. So we've got the question up there do Christians have to go to church? And I think the answer to that uh, at some level could be well, not if you're sick, uh, not uh, if you're isolated, uh, maybe not if you're unable to go. But I think really when we ask that question, we're actually asking another question entirely, which is what I really mean is do I have to go to church? Because there's all these hypotheticals, aren't there? What about, what about people who live on their own on top of a mountain and, and can't, don't have a church nearby? But we're not really technically concerned about them, are we? We're wondering whether we can not go to church and it will be all right. So how about we deal with that question? Do I really need to go to church? Now, uh, we live in a, uh, an online world and I've been having fun with uh, presenting stuff that way. Uh, did anyone see this article this week? Marriage is not for you. Put your hands up if you saw it. Really? Fantastic. Now, can I just hands down, I just need to make sure, guys, if you saw it, put your hands up. 
Uh, four, five of us. Okay, all right. Uh, girls, you do need to pass it on to uh, your husbands, I suspect. Uh, it's a really good article. Uh, the article basically said, um, I've been married for a year and a half and I've decided that marriage is not for me. At which point, you know, everybody goes, wow, okay, what's this guy saying? And the hook is uh, he was being very selfish and he sat down with his dad and his dad said, actually, marriage isn't about you. It's actually about the person that you're married to. You need to love and serve and sacrifice for them. If you think marriage is all about you, you've got it wrong. Marriage isn't for you. It's for the other person. Great little article. uh, Really worth checking out. Um, Apparently, people like the message. Uh, It's had 24 million hits since it was posted, which is, I think, quite a few. Uh, You can add to that uh, during the week. Just Google it. I'm sure you'll find it out. So I want to say this question here is uh, what I really mean is do I have to go to church? I want to use the idea of that little article and say this. What if the first problem is that church isn't for you? What if church isn't for you firstly? It's a pretty radical thought, isn't it? At which point you might leave and say, oh, good. Well, it's not for me. I don't need it. I'm going to go home. Bear with me. I'm going to try and bring it around. Uh, we're going to, today we, we had two readings. Uh, I'm going to do some jumping around the Bible today. We normally work very carefully through the Bible and work through a passage. I'm going to take some ideas from various places in the Bible. If you look up on the screen, you'll see down the bottom where it's come from. If you're an expert Bible flicker, please keep up and flick away. I'd love to hear the rustling of pages. Uh, if That's going to be a little bit hard for you. On the passages I spend some more time on, I'll, I'll tell you really to open up, but they'll also be up on the screen here. I'm going to start in Ephesians, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, we hear Paul talking to the church there. He talks a lot about the church in Ephesians, and he says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages... He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things that happens when you get to Ephesians, Paul just is waxing lyrical. He just, words are pouring out of him in, I think, beautiful sounding language. What's the point here? The point is, I think, what if, what if the church was first of all for the glory of God? What if the church existed first and foremost for the glory of God? It starts challenging our first question, isn't it? Why do I need to go to church? What if God has a purpose for the church that's about bringing honour and glory to him? It's a good place to start, isn't it? A good challenge. Well, let's keep thinking about uh, the church and what it is that makes the church. We're in Ephesians 4. So if you've got to Ephesians, uh, turn across to uh, Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4 and verses 1 to 6, uh, Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So now we've moved from God to you. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's Sunday morning, I'm going to ask you, what word gets repeated a lot there? All and one. Absolutely. What he's saying is, he's saying you 
will keep the unity of the Spirit. The implication of that is that there's an existing unity that we have. You and I, if we've trusted in Jesus, have been baptised into one Lord. We've received one Spirit. We are united in a profound way by the fact that we're in one Spirit together. Let me show you this in a different place. Uh, In Hebrews 12, now we've looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago, and in Hebrews 12 we see this idea. Uh, Hebrews 12, 22 to 24 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have come to a spiritual reality. We are included together in Christ. And so I want to introduce us to this idea. Uh, We've been working through the book of Exodus. If you're new with us, you missed out on a great series in Exodus. In Exodus, we see the first church. The people of God gathered where? Murmur, murmur, where? In front of the mountain, Mount Sinai, weren't they? They gathered together at the foot of the mountain and they met God on the mountain. The writer in the Hebrews is saying, we haven't come to that mountain. We've come to a heavenly reality. We've come to something even more glorious. We have come to the church that is heavenly and that is invisible. And you go, well, I knew I hadn't seen it. I haven't seen a sign for that lately around the place. There's a church that's heavenly and invisible. It's a church that you and I, if we've trusted in Jesus, are included in by the fact that we have one spirit in us. A church that is heavenly and invisible. So I want to say to you, what if, what if you're already gathered at church? It's a bit of a radical thought, isn't it? We've trusted Jesus. He's given us his spirit. He's included us in Christ. What if you and I are already gathered in Christ by virtue of that spirit living in us? What if, what if you're united in Jesus by the Holy Spirit? What if that exists before you even get together? There's a unity that exists uh, in heaven. I think that's very exciting and it starts to challenge us in terms of thinking who's outside the church and who's inside the church. Well, what happens if we're united with Christ? This is one of those famous passages in Philippians chapter 2. Some of you might even be able to say it off by heart. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this is talking about our unity with Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What's the point here? I've said that there's a heavenly and invisible church. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. There are obviously churches that are earthly and visible. And congratulations, you're at one this morning. Uh, And they're scattered. We heard uh, Simeon pray for Eagle Vale and Harrington Park and Cobbardy and There are churches all over the place that are earthly and visible gatherings of God's people. 
How are we to behave in the earthly and visible outworking of that invisible and heavenly church? Well, we're supposed to take the unity and the beauty and the love and uh, the centeredness on Christ from the heavenly and visible and make it live in the earthly and visible church. So what if the earthly, this church, is to reflect the heavenly reality? That would be pretty cool, I reckon. So that churches around the place would show that we find our unity in Christ by living the life that already exists in heaven. So we would reflect that up to God. Well, what's the point of trying to live in this wonderful way uh, that Paul talks about there in Philippians? We're going to jump to 2 Corinthians. That was a reading that was brought to us. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5. We're, we're laying a foundation here that we'll draw on in a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5. Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. What's the point here? We did this in life groups during the week. The idea is that you shouldn't be a dead end for comfort. God has comforted you. What's the implication? You should... Comfort others. You're along for the ride. This is fantastic. Now, what that means is, does anyone know this movie? I'll call it out. Where is it? Castaway. Cast Has anyone seen it? I, um, I was going to say uh, that uh, God isn't into uh, Robinson Crusoe Christians, but my wife told me that people wouldn't know who Robinson Crusoe is. Does anyone know who Robinson Crusoe is? Is it, is it better or worse to go with it? Anyway, Anyway, so... Uh, this works well. God's design, God's design for the church isn't for castaway Christians. It isn't for us to live isolated on a desert island. It isn't for us to conceive our Christian life lived on our own. That is not God's design for the church. He has saved us into a body of people that are designed to receive comfort from God and pass it on to others. That's actually in the DNA of church. God has not designed us to be castaway Christians. In fact, he's designed us rather for a family in fellowship. That's church at its best, isn't it? I'm going to pretend you are nodding with me. Uh, That's church at its best, isn't it? That's what we want. I want a family and and not a dysfunctional, horrible family, although, you know, at times maybe we can be. But, But a great family, a family that looks out, that sacrifices, that cares that shows love one to another. The DNA of church is actually to be God's family here on earth. Paul extends this idea uh, of being family uh, by using the idea and the metaphor of a body. Just go back a couple of pages from where you're on 2 Corinthians to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Now, many of you will be very familiar with this, but I want to read it to you because it's important to see how this idea of having one spirit and the idea of being passing on our, our um, love and care for one another is just worked out so beautifully in this passage. So we're in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body of Christ is not made up of one part, but of many. Now look, for some of us, this is so familiar, we don't see the radicalness of it. Slaves and free together? You might remember a talk I did some while, a while ago when I, I called them the Roman appliances. The refrigerator, the vacuum cleaner, the car that takes you to the shops. That was the level that slaves were on. And here it's saying in the church there is a unity of slave and free, of Jews and Gentiles that come together by one spirit. That's a beautiful picture. And he, he fleshes that out, so to speak. Uh, he says in verse, uh, verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 25, But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Again, this rings true. In your family, the best of our families, when someone is suffering, sick in hospital, we don't just go, oh, tough, do we? We'll go and see them. We'll be grieved by their distress. When someone is honoured, we'll rejoice with them. I had the joy of being at Ruby's ballet concert this week and, uh, and seeing her get an award. Now, she got the award and I didn't do any dancing, thankfully, but I rejoiced with her. I rejoiced with her uh, in that. So that's what our body is supposed to be like, honouring, rejoicing, suffering together as a family, as each part does its work. And we'll see that the word has a place in this family too. Have a look at verses uh, 28 and following. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, ministers of the word, second prophets, proclaimers of the word, third teachers, teachers of the word, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret now eagerly desire the greater gifts. The point is God's made us diverse. We have different roles, but the word will help organise and arrange our family. So here's our, here's our church. The church is heavenly and invisible. There are churches which are earthly and visible. And I want to ask, what if each of us are here to do a part as a hand, an arm, an eye, a head, an ear, to do a part to build the body up? that you and I might be strengthened with gifts and by the word. I think that's a really exciting picture of church. I don't just go to church, I am the church. I wish our church would, no, 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 I hope you will. Does that make sense? We often create this other entity called the church, but you and I are the church. We're part of the body incorporated by the spirit. So there's that word and that body. As, uh, we're Anglicans, and uh, in our prayer book in the 39 Articles, if you do our partnership course with us, you'll actually read the 39 Articles, which is tremendously exciting. Uh, in the, uh, the 19th article, it says this about the church. The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men, and hello, ladies, it includes you as well. It was written some time ago. Uh, the visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men and women in which the pure word of God is preached, and the sacraments be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance. So how will we know the church? We'll know the church. It's the place 
where the word is preached, where there's a gathering of God's people and where the sacraments are duly administered. That's pretty cool. And I hope you see the church here around you. All right, I've tried to say there's some bigger things. What if church isn't first and foremost about you? What's, what if it's about you serving others? What if it's about the glory of God? Oh, that's pretty good. But there are always objections as to why someone shouldn't go to church. So let's consider some of them, and we'll pretend they're for your friends. Is that okay? Is that right? You know someone who has this question. So let's start with this one. What if I just don't like church? And as Matt pointed out to me this morning, that might just mean uh, you don't like the music at a particular place. But it's not quite what we mean. What if you just don't think church is a good idea? Now, I've certainly heard people say, I like Jesus, but I'm not into that church thing. Have you heard that before? Let me, uh, let me offer you a, uh, a bit of a challenge to that. Uh, in Ephesians 5, now this is the passage that's always read at weddings. Can I get you to open it up just purely so you can hear it read, not for a wedding? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm deadly serious because you will hear this at weddings and you'll hear it all about the wedding couple. And I want you to hear the other bit, which is the bit that we... Anyway, you'll see. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 25 and following. It says this, Husbands, love your wives. So we're clear, that's still good advice, and it's good advice for weddings, but bear bear with me. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her, that's the church, holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, normally we want to talk about husbands at this point, but I want to talk about Jesus. Do you think Jesus loves the church? It says here he gave himself up for her, that he did it to wash her, to cleanse her, to present her to himself as a pure bride. God is seriously committed to the church. It cost him his son. If you say, I don't really like the church, I want to say, Jesus loved the church to death. Jesus loved the church to death. You claim to love him. If you do, you'll love his bride. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. That that doesn't follow. He died for the church. It's his passion. And yet we disown his passion. I think in the process we disown him. Here's another objection. What if I've been hurt by the church? In uh, in this day and age of the Royal Commission into uh, abuse, we need to know that this is a real question, isn't it? And that the church has indeed sinned grievously, I think, and hurt many. And in whatever capacity I can as a minister, I want to apologise and say, I can't believe how poorly the picture of God has been treated in the world around us. And I want to say I'm sorry. And if you have been grieved in that way, what I'm about to say is not the word I would speak to you. There are many of us, however, who have not been grieved in that way and yet have been hurt by the church. And I want you to hear this word. 
I'm reading two parts of the Bible. I won't get you to flick them up. One is from Jesus because I think we need to hear Jesus. Jesus will often say things in ways that I won't. So I'm going to, I'm going to read what he says and we can, uh, we, we can hear what he says this. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Now, I'd be blushing, I think, saying that. But Jesus doesn't pull any punches, does he? If we only love those who love us, there's nothing distinctly Christian about us. We're exactly like the world. There is nothing that marks us out as changed and redeemed by God. I think it flows nicely with what's said in in Ephesians then, which says this, get rid of all bitterness. I could stop there, couldn't I? The griefs we feel often go to bitterness, don't they? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. And look, if brawling hasn't broken out, praise God, but I have no doubt that slander finds easy place in our heart doesn't it along with every form of malice that's evil intent instead what kind of people are we supposed to be be kind and compassionate to one another no lord don't ask that forgiving each other how as much as i'm allowed to when i'm on a good day doesn't say that forgiving each other just as in christ God forgave you. There is supposed to be something radically distinct about the body of Christ. And yet, quite often, it'll look exactly the same as your club, as your school PNC, as your family maybe. What's supposed to mark us out here, wonderfully, amazingly, miraculously, is forgiveness that trumps hurts that loves those who've grieved us. I want to say, if one of the reasons you find it hard to go to church is that people have hurt you, I want to agree it's tough. I don't think it's simple or easy. But I think our unforgiveness will kill us. And I want us to plead for God for mercy, that we might have forgiveness, that we might find a fresh start, and that we might show love that is truly Christian. It's tough. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Here's another objection. I think this can often be the case. Maybe you've just heard that one. You go, well, clearly I'm not qualified to be at church. You know, I'm really struggling with forgiveness. And you can decide, you know what? I'm not going to come back until I've sorted forgiveness out. I I really... I think this can genuinely happen. I I look at the wonderful people who are in the church around me. I'm not like them. I'm not as good as they are. And you can decide, look, I I won't come until I'm right. I think that would be a tragedy, and I'll I'll tell you why. In Hebrews 4, Jesus uh, is spoken of in the most wonderful way. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet... He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may get a slap on the back and be turned away. No! 
so that we might find, what does it say there? So we might find grace, that we might find grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need. I just think that's extraordinary. If you think you can't make it, if you think you're not good enough, the only place to be is here. The only place to be is here. It's the place for the brokenhearted. It's the place for those who acknowledge their brokenness. Don't run from the place you'll find help waiting until you're fixed. And I know you haven't. You're here. Bless you. Um, But I'd love you to extend that invitation to others. It won't get better outside the church. This is the place where the high priest who understands us, God who gets us, offers us grace and mercy. What about this one? And I think this is maybe maybe an older generation than my generation. My faith is a private thing between God and me. Why do I need to go to church? Have you heard that before? At one level, I hope you do have a relationship with God that's private and personal and doesn't depend just on corporate meeting. I have an analogy for you. Uh, Has anyone ever had a a decent fire out under the stars? Change of pace. Anyone done that? I think it's it's actually secretly good for you, I think. Even though the smoke will blow in your face and you say, I hate white rabbits, I hate white rabbits and all that sort of stuff. You don't say that? You should say that. That way smoke goes away. Um, I was in the Scouts. We practice that a lot. Uh, So you've got a big fire. Uh, It burns down. You've got these beautiful embers. Okay, if you've had this experience, what happens if you get some tongs? Get tongs, by the way, don't get your hands. If you get some tongs, take one of these embers and you put it over here. What happens to it? <coughs> Call it out, Simeon. It goes cold. What colour does it go? Okay, this is what happens. It's charred and nothing, right? Now, here's something pretty amazing. If you've ever done this, you wake up in the morning and there's still a little glow in that broken down fire. Do you know what I'm talking about? What happens if you get one of those things and you pick it up and you put it back in there? Do you know what happens? It starts glowing again. Now, let me say to you, this isn't in the Bible. This is my little word picture. I actually think this is church. That in fellowship, we have a chance to encourage one another. We actually, the fire will burn longer. We'll do better together. That those who go and stand on their own will be like the ember taken out of the fire. There's no future there. There's no future there. And yet, when we return, what happens? There's strength, encouragement, energy for the battle. You know, uh, we've got a little brochure that uh, helps organise our church. It's, it's this one here. It's in the front of some of the Bibles that you have. And in it, we talk about being a church that's faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring. When we talk about our enduring value, what we want for you as you follow Jesus... We ask these questions. Remember, we're talking about running to the end. We ask, where are you weak and in danger of falling? Where are you weak and in danger of falling? And you know, some of you will know that and you'll be able to say straight away, I know that. Some of you will say, I don't know that, in which case I'd love you to ponder it. The next question says that you are not a little ember on your own. This is what it says. Who knows you well enough to ask this question? to ask you this question. Who knows you well enough to ask, where are you weak and in danger of falling? And if there is no one in answer to that question, we want to encourage you, please don't run the race on your own. 
we would love to stand with you. And if there's absolutely no one, Matthew and I would love to be able to start that conversation with you. You won't make it on your own. Have somebody who knows. And more than that, look at the third question. The first two questions are about us. We want to ask, who are you strengthening to run the race with perseverance? Is there someone that you're actively helping with crutches on as they stumble on their way to Perth? Who are you putting the arm around helping them to keep running the race? Are we being God's family together so that I'm concerned for you? I'm looking out for you that you might make it. We want you to think about that very carefully. We say new life happens in a church community. We want you to live your new life following Jesus in a church community because you won't make it on your own. I just have to say this. Bear with me. I'm riding a little hobby horse out. Okay, watch me. Okay, it's out there. You ready? What happens if other things come up all the time so I can't get to church? All right? Now, what could they be? What are some things that could come up? Sport, children's parties, uh, new hairdo, painting a house. I don't know, whatever it is. Lots of things can come up, right? Here's some things. If something comes up, I want you to tell me which of these are socially acceptable refusals in Australia. Something comes up and someone says to you, can you? And you say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I've got sport on with my child. Socially acceptable? Oh, come on, call it out. It is. I can't possibly come. I've got sport with my child. Now, that is somehow an inv- You can't break that. I can't. I've got a family do on. It's a special birthday. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can't break that. All right. I'm working on my house. I've got all this equipment rented from, insert Camden Hire here. Um, I've, got all this, I've got all this stuff. I've got to work on my house. I'm sorry I can't come. Acceptable? I'm really sorry. I can't come. I've got church. It's funny, isn't it? It's okay to go and watch your kids. They can't miss a week of kicking a ball. No one can have you turn up late to the party in your family that loves you to bits. They can't possibly let you miss that. Your house can't wait because you paid $39 for a jackhammer and it can't wait. But when it comes to meeting with the visible expression of the invisible reality, sitting under the word of God, encouraging others on the race, well, that's missable. Make church what you're always doing on Sunday morning and guess what? It'll get easier. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to look at your diary. Guess what? I know what you've got on Sunday morning next week and the week after. And in fact, I know what you've got on, you know, next Sunday in a year's time because it's always in your diary. Because it's your first priority, because it's not about you. It's about encouraging your brothers and sisters are here. It's about honouring God. It's about running the race with perseverance. We said word and church, and I really haven't majored on the word one, but I want to put this in. We say to you, we say to you that we want you to be reading the word every day. In fact, it says it in here. What are you, what are you learning as you read the Bible and pray daily? And someone will say to me, look, I'm not really a good reader. Okay, 
Now, if someone can show me they never read any words in their life, I'll be very surprised because we're in a technological age. I reckon you look at words all the time. It's I don't want to read the Bible in a paper book. Fair enough. Let me challenge you with this. Uh, Write this down. You need to write down. uh, That's the questions. You need to write down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Where are we to go to keep running the race? I've got to find it in the word. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, you tell me you're not a good reader. BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. Why? Do you ever listen to the radio? I listen to old man radio, I listen to 702, so I love, love people talking to me, right? But I'm, I'm guessing you have music, you have something in your ears all the time, right? If you go to BibleGateway.com and you type in a part of the Bible, guess what it will do? It will read it out loud to you for free. Did you know this? BibleGateway.com. And you say to me, I don't have a computer, I've got an Android phone, I've got an iPhone, I've got a pa- tablet of some kind, have a look at this. They have apps for every single one of them. You can do it on your technocentric thing. You can find it and you can press a button and it will read it out loud to you for free. Now, I promise you, no chapter of the Bible will take you more than five minutes to listen to out loud, except for maybe Psalm 119 or something like that. But here's the thing. It'll read it to you. So you put your headphones in while you're brushing your teeth and while you're done, you'll have heard God's word for today. Now, don't do that because you can do even better than that. But what I'm saying is if you're hopeless... This will work for you. We have a reading plan, and if you don't have it, uh, we've got copies floating around the place. We try and read a chapter a day. And the reason we do that keeps the dentist away or something. I don't, I, no, no, we get exposed to a bit of the Bible every day. Keeps the devil away. I'm happy with that. Uh, if you hate any of those suggestions and all you do is check your email, go to biblesociety.org.au. And sign up for their email. Guess what they'll do? They'll send you an email every day. You will do nothing. And when you check your email, which you will do, there's an email that says a bit of God's word for you. So can I say, honestly, if you aren't a good reader, I can find a way for the word to get to you. The question is, do you want the word to get to you? Do you want the word to get to you? Because I think the only only possible excuse you've got is you don't want to. Start somewhere. All right. Do Christians have to go to church? Well, I'm going to say, firstly, it's not about you. It's about the glory of God. Secondly, you're already gathered. There's this wonderful spiritual reality. Church isn't designed for castaway Christians. It's designed to be a family. It's got a bodybuilding design to it where we all contribute. It's supposed to be shaped by the word, where we sit under the word. We hear it taught to us. And we're supposed to be strengthened by the sacraments that we take. Do Christians have to go to church? I'll tell you what, if it's a run to Perth and you've got a broken leg, not only do I want crutches, but I want to tell you, you're not alone. You are not alone. You will not make it on your own. And I want to encourage you, run with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this extraordinary thing that you've won at great cost, which is the church. Father, I thank you that we are united with people in Africa, in Spain, in England, in Cobbardy, through this Holy Spirit that you've sent to live in us. We thank you for the heavenly reality. I pray our earthly reality here at New Life Anglican would be filled with forgiveness and perseverance and care 
and concern. Father, may we truly be the bride of Christ and may you find us ready with full assurance waiting for you on the day you return. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.